start, I'm going to read both passages. I'm going to do it weird, though. I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians first. I'm going to read the passage out of 2 Thessalonians first, and then I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians uh, after that. Now, you may, it may actually surprise you to know that some commentators believe that 2 Thessalonians was the first letter. Now, I don't, I don't personally agree with that, but um, there are some that believe that. And it's because, in some ways, 1 Thessalonians kind of feels like a response to things that are happening in 2 Thessalonians. And this is one of those cases. So we're going to read uh, the passage from 2 Thessalonians first, and then we're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians. So um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5, um, we pick up, uh, Paul has been talking about um, this uh, son of destruction, um, this man of lawlessness, the, the spirit of Antichrist that is going to enter the church and, and distract and destroy. And in verse 5 he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things? So this is, not, this is not a new idea. Paul's not coming up with something new. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, so or until he is removed. So in other words, there is this spirit at work. Um, someone is holding him back. Uh, scripturally, it seems to be either the Holy Spirit or some supernatural agent. In verse 8, And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Um, Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So a lot of this is kind of looking to the future, looking to the end. Verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in his unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to draw a parallel between that. If you go back a page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his child, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe, you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins." but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we look to your word once again. We look to these letters written in a time to a people for a specific purpose and yet inspired by the eternal Holy Spirit to speak to us in our time. 
speak to our purposes. And the thing that unites us and brings us together between us and them so long ago is your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we hear from him. May he speak to us. May you be glorified as we look to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul calls us, and we're going to kind of put together a couple of parallels because there are two particular Greek words that appear um, in these two passages that put them in parallel. The first one is in 2 Thessalonians 2.5 and 1 Thessalonians 2.9. Paul says, do you remember? He asks that question. In, in 2 Thessalonians, he says, do you remember that I told you? Right, Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Remember. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. These are the same word um, in Greek, and they just mean to recall, to remember, um, to, to uh, look back at something in the past. Now, this is a different word than when we are called to remember Christ, um, to be a memorial or, or of Christ in the Lord's table, which is something that is occurring right now. You are aware of something that is that is occurring right now that you that occurred in the past. This is this is remember something you already know. So recall something that you already know. And so that is the first kind of anchor point that brings these two together. In in First Thessalonians, he says, "Remember our labor and toil." He says, "You remember what it took. You remember the ministry that we had." You remember what was happening in everything that we were doing um, and how we exhorted you in verse 11, uh, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So he says, you remember what happened when the gospel came into your life, when the ministry of the gospel entered your life and you were called to something greater. You were called to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now, when we read a phrase like that today in our modern world, we tend to think of that in a very personal, individual way. That God called me to be to walk worthy. Um, and, and I was reminded, actually, of, of something about this. This, this past week, I watched, um, and I will fight you over this, uh, the best miniseries ever made for television, uh, Band of Brothers. And if you don't agree with me, you're okay being wrong. Um, so Band of Brothers is about the 101st Airborne, the Battle of Bastogne, a bunch of stuff that, that happened during World War II. Um, but one of the things that I, that I caught my attention this week, and probably because I was preparing this, I noticed this, there is an episode at, toward the end of the series where the, the Germans are just, uh, they are surrendering en masse. Hundreds of thousands of Germans surrendering all at once. Hitler um, is, is dead. And and as the American troops are driving uh, to Bertischgarten, which was Hitler's private retreat in the Alps, as they're ride, driving that way, there's, they're driving down the Autobahn, multiple lanes, and down the median strip, all the Germans or prisoners of war walk in the other way, and they're all marching in step. And uh, and one of the one of the guys in the in the the 101st, an Easy Company, he he says even when they're defeated. They still walk with dignity. They still walk with, with honor. And 
one of the things that when we read this phrase of walking in a manner worthy of God, it's not just that I, I am good enough, God, God saved me, and so I, ha- I owe it to Him to walk worthy. But it is a sense of as we are called into His kingdom, as we are identified with God, as we are identified with Him, there, there becomes something uh, special about who we are together as a group called into his service. And, and although, you know, obviously Nazi Germany is not the greatest analogy to this, um, but, but the fact that those German troops, they believed so strongly in the training and the drilling and the, and the, uh, the order of being a part of the, of the Wehrmacht and all of the things that they were a part of, that that identity meant so much to them that even in defeat they were still walking in formation. There was an honor to the way that they walked as being a part of something greater than themselves. And Paul isn't saying, you all get to walk in your own manner of worthiness of God, however you feel like walking. He's saying, rather, see what you're a part of. You've been called into the kingdom. You've been called into the glory. And that's honorable. That's glorious. Walk worthy of the one who has called you into his kingdom. And I want to contrast that with what Paul has to say about those who follow the, the spirit of the son of destruction, the spirit of lawlessness, which is at work. In verse 7 he says, the mystery of lawlessness that is already at work. He says in verse 9 that the coming of the lawlessness one is the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Although we as followers of Christ are called to walk worthy of the kingdom and call, uh, walk worthy of God and called into the kingdom and there is, there's glory and identity and community and strength and the Spirit of God and what we've been called into, Paul also warns that those who, who are, who are uh, choosing the lawlessness and the destruction and the wickedness, what they're being called into is false signs, false wonders, false power. And, and we are called by God into this kingdom and His glory, but this group of people who follow this false God, this false religion, this false idol of a man, they will, verse, uh, verse 10 at the end, they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And I want to put these two in contrast because I think that it's important that we see where the power of both of these lie. The power of destruction and lawlessness, the power of the spirit of Antichrist, the power of deception, even if it goes by the name of Jesus in Christianity, and there is plenty of deception that goes by those names, but the power of that lies in our refusal to love the truth. The power of the temptation and the power and control that is exerted upon us as people is our individual refusal to love the truth. To love what God is doing and to love the the reality and so be saved. I would challenge you that one of one of the most common problems that we encounter as Christians 
is our refusal to love the uncomfortable truth of the gospel. We, we tend to not want to love and embrace the realities of things like sin. You say, love and embrace sin? What are you talking about? If we do not choose to love the reality of what God's Word has to say about our own sinfulness, if we not, do not love, and I want to make sure I make this clear, to love the reality of what God says about it, not our sin. I don't want anybody going home and saying that pastor told us to love sin. All right? Love the reality of what God says about it. How often have you read a verse of scripture like the wages of sin is death and thought of that entirely in the negative? I'm a, I'm a sinner, so there's death, and isn't that dark and morbid? Rather than loving the truth that God doesn't stop there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. All right? the, the scriptures continue and say God doesn't leave you in sin, but rather he wants to transform you through Christ. We read a line like, there is none righteous, no, not one. We read that and go, yeah, we're a bunch of losers. Instead of understanding that through the context of God's love, that although we were not righteous, the righteous one made us righteous in Christ. See, we have to learn to love even the things we don't like about what God says about this world. And our, our, our desire, our human desire, our human nature is to love the things that make us feel loved. I, I love when, you know, I, I love, fill in the blank, I love when, uh, you know, uh, when everything is just working and it's beautiful and it's amazing and I'm getting everything that I want. I, I love I love all of this. You know, I, 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 I love this, but I don't love, the, I don't love the dark side of it. I don't love the fact that I don't get to do what I want to do. I don't love the fact that I don't love the fact the Bible says that people don't trust Christ or are eternally damned. I, I don't like that. I'm, I'm going to try to avoid that one. I'm just going to skip the last couple chapters of Revelation. That'll make me feel better. I, I mean, I, I love the idea of Jesus being about love and compassion. I'm not a huge fan of him telling self-righteous people that they're whited sepulchers. I'm going to go ahead and skip that part. I love the part of the Good Samaritan, right? I love that story, right? I, I love the story of the Good Samaritan, how Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who comes along and he takes care of this man. And I, I don't so much love the fact that Jesus told that story to a group of people pointing out to them that they were not the Good Samaritan. I, I love the story of the prodigal son. Man, Jesus coming and God's going to save me. Uh, not too keen on the idea that the whole point of that story is actually the brother who is ungrateful for what, God, what the father has given to him. Don't like that part. I love the whole Jesus is a teacher of righteousness. I love the whole idea of reading all the red letters. Not too keen on the brutality of a crucifixion. We, we tend to love grace, what the Bible says about God's goodness, 
But we also need to learn to love what God says about his justice. When we refuse to love the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, we're walking our own way walking rather than walking worthy. There are plenty of things in the Bible that make us uncomfortable. I remember one time saying, what, what in the Bible do you wish was not in the Bible? And somebody raised their hand and said, that whole one wife thing. A little bit too much honesty there, my friend. Leave that one alone. But there's all kinds of stuff in the scriptures that make us a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I, you know, uh, I was asked this morning about uh, whether I'd ever taught on the Trinity, and I mentioned, you know, as a as a history guy, I said, you know, the great thing about the Nicene Creed, you know, it talks about the nature of God, and they make all this formulation. It's essentially a really well worded shrug. Like we don't really know how it works. That's really what it is. It's not like this theological formula, like, yeah, it's like this thing. It's kind of fuzzy. Um, We don't like the uncomfortable parts, but we need to learn to love them. We refuse to love the truth. So he says, remember that you were called. Remember that you were walking in a manner of worthy in this. And then he has this second parallel that comes up in both of these passages. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, at 2, it's in verse 11. Therefore, all right? And in 1 Thessalonians 2, it doesn't get translated as therefore, but it's still the same word. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And we also. Uh, both of these are actually the same word, uh, or the same phrase, kediatuta, um, which, means, which means therefore or and also. Um, it's a connection. You remember this, therefore. So in Second Thessalonians, he says, you remember everything we know about this son of destruction, everything about this lawlessness, everything about the refusal to, to accept and love the truth and so be saved. He says, and therefore, and what's his therefore, therefore? Second Thessalonians, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Now we can see this in practical terms on an everyday basis. When somebody accepts an argument that to them makes things make sense, you can sit there and argue your, your face blue and they will still sit there and go, Nope, my system works. My idea works. I had a conversation. You guys do not care about this. But I had a conversation with somebody about the opening of Genesis 1. All right? Barashit bara Elohim. Barashit bara Elohim. Ha shamayim et ha eretz. In the beginning, God created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I argued with this guy endlessly. He said, that should be translated as God began creating. And I said, no. And I know you don't care. All right. But the verb is not a participle. I said, it is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's the correct translation of this. Translating it as, as God began creating is wrong. And he said, 
I like it. I, I, it, it fits, it, he basically said it fits with the, my interpretation of the rest of the chapter, so I'm sticking with it. And I wrote it out. All right, in Hebrew, here's the verb, here's the subject, here's, here's the temporal marker, here's the direct object. And he said, not anybody in the church, by the way, but I like it this way. And at that point I went, I think we're done here. I said, because you're, you're sitting there, and first of all, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to walk out and tout qualifications and all this stuff to people because it's not worth it. But I was like, do you have any idea how many hours of seminary Hebrew I have? Do you have any idea how much work I've put into this? I am a PhD student in Old Testament. You are like, I can't remember what he does for a living. He works for a retail company or something. I, I said, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm telling you this is what it says. I don't care. I don't care. We see this at work all the time. When somebody embraces a false idea, they refuse to accept the truth, and then they just keep rolling. They just keep moving. It doesn't matter how much you argue with them. It doesn't matter how much you debate with them. We deal with our kids. Have you ever had your, caught your kids doing something? Like, caught them doing it, and they said they weren't doing it, and stuck to their guns. And you sit there going, I know you did this. I saw you do this. It's on video. <laughs> wasn't me. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. Now those are small, but what Paul is saying here is he's dealing with this. He says, once you refuse to accept the truth, God allows strong delusion to exist. Now we don't know why specifically God does this, but he, this is not the only place. This Romans 1 deals with this too, where God says he gives people up to false imaginations. He surrenders them to their strong delusions. He says, therefore, when you refuse to love the truth and so be saved, you will be sent a strong delusion and believe what is false. The, re the result of that will be, the result of not loving the truth will be more falsehood. Then look over at 1 Thessalonians. He uses the therefore. He says in verse 13, this is the therefore, and we also, that's the same phrase, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. He says, when, now, for you, called out into the kingdom and glory, called to walk in a manner worthy of God, for those of you who came to faith, here's the extraordinary thing. When you received the word of God, you received it as what it was. You, you accepted it for what it was. And, and it sounds so, it's so self-evident, right? Those who follow God are going to follow God, and those who are not following God are not going to follow God. Isn't that profound? Isn't that deep? You know, it's like, I, I, and, and yet, sometimes we just have to put this into our minds, that, that when we, we, we're walking in faith with Christ, we are going to, when we're presented with the Word of God, we are challenged to accept the Word of God as the Word of God, and we also, and this is part of the truth we've got to accept, those who refuse to accept the Word of God are not going to accept the Word of God as the Word of God. How deep? How profound? 
How simple. How hard. Then he comes here. He And, and I'm not going to get through the whole thing, but he talks about the the society the Thessalonians are living in, verse Thessalonians, he gets all the way to the end, talking about the persecution that everybody's enduring. He says, And so those who do not accept the word, those who are not walking worthy, those that do not accept the word of God as the word of God, should it not surprise us that they will kill, that they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, they drove Paul out, they displeased God, they opposed all mankind, they hindered from speaking to the nations so that they may be saved. He says, so, so as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. Now, Paul is actually borrowing a phrase from the book of Genesis. All right, way back when, when God promised Abraham uh, that he would inherit the land that is today Israel, he says, but not yet, because the cup of the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet full. He said, there, there's a measure to God's patience before his wrath is poured out on uh, on." Uh, on injustice and wickedness. And and this has nothing to do with the sermon. But this is a side note. Just remember that just because wickedness isn't punished the way that you think wickedness is, pun- is, is should be punished does not mean that God is not noticing. That he is not paying attention. That one's for free. You can preach that one on your own. He says you received he says you received the word. He said and and the, what that did is it it made you a target. For those who are going to destroy and kill and persecute, and and he, it put a it put a, a bullseye on your chest that they were coming for you. He says, but don't worry. He says, they are filled. They as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Now we don't know specifically what Paul is talking about here, but something happened, and it became very clear that those who were persecuting the church. To Paul, he says, look, he says, God hasn't forgotten. He's keeping track. Now look at the, in 2 Thessalonians, the, the way he concludes the passage here. He comes all the way down, uh, you know, verse 12, in order that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, because God chose you as the first fruit to be saved. So when he talks about how we have to walk worthy and, and, and we should walk worthy of God and we are called and, and into the kingdom and glory and all that, he says and we received the word of God. He says, so those who persecute you, don't worry. Those that persecute you, the, God's wrath is coming on them. Then he comes over to the ones that are refusing to accept the, the word. They're refusing to follow Christ. They don't want to love the truth. They've been given up to the del- strong delusion. They're believing what is false. He says, but don't worry. Because because God chose you as first fruits. And so he crosses lines, right? He crisscrosses at the end of both of these. When he's talking to, to us as believers, he says, but don't worry, God hasn't kept lost track. And when he's talking about unbelievers, he says, but remember, God chose you. Now, there's an implicit thing every time Paul says that. And I would encourage you, every time you read Paul saying, God chose you, I would encourage you to write under, in the margin or whatever, I didn't deserve it, he can choose others too. Because so many people read that God chose you and they're like, yeah, God chose me. 
You did not deserve to be chosen. Any more than anyone here deserved to be chosen. And remember who is writing this. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He participated in the murder of Stephen. Paul knows what, it, what it's like not to love the truth, to turn his back, to have a strong delusion, and for God to transform him. So if there's anything we learn from God choosing us, it's that God wants to choose more of us. So what do we do with all of this? Let me, let me boil this into kind of a, a big practical ball and throw it at you. How do we respond to a world, a secular world, that is opposed in every way to the message of Christ? There are so many different responses, and I think you can see them all embedded. There are some who walk through the world that is a secular world opposed to the cause of Christ, and they go, you know, God picked us, so we just have to stay pure. God picked us, so our focus needs to be just us. Us, 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 us. Let's make sure we don't do anything that might blow this for us. So we're going to dress like we are from 1600s Holland. We are going to live somewhere far away from everybody. We're going to use only things that are in the Bible, so no tractors, um, no electricity, no phone, no cars. Um, a three-hour tour. Suddenly the Gilligan's theme, Island theme popped into my song. But, but we have that mentality. We're going to stay clean. We're going to stay pure. And so the answer to that is let's all just withdraw into a little, little box and tell each other how special we are for, for being loved by God. There's a, another extreme that says... Well, you know, we're, we're chosen, so um, it's, it's so important that we just, we do everything we can, um, and so we're going to look like the world, we're going to talk like the world, we're going to smell like the world, we're going to drink like the world, we're going we're gonna to dance like the world, we're going to get out there, we're just going to be just like them, so that hopefully they will hear Jesus in, in who we are, and, and, and that'll, be the, that'll be perfect. And I would question how much somebody who makes that argument actually loves the truth. And we have these two extremes. Then we have people, there's this whole spectrum in between. There are people who say, well, the problem, right? The problem, the reason that people accept uh, uh, secularism and humanism and the reason that people reject the Bible is we haven't argued it properly. If we just construct a better argument, they will accept this. And I would ask you whether that has ever worked in the history of mankind with somebody who chooses to be ignorant. You can, how many of you have ever tried to logically argue with your children? How often does that actually work? Listen, here's the plan, right? You do this, and I will do this. You do this, and I will do that. Little human sinners love to see whether you will actually do that. Right? We love to push it. I mean, and so people are like, oh, I'm going to argue people into, I'm going to argue people out of believing, not believing in God. I'm going to give, here's point one, point two, point three, and? 
you know? Of course, on the flip side, one of my favorite YouTube clips ever is a pastor named Dan Kimball who collects Christian tchotchkes, and he has Christian Bible verse poker chips. And, and the video I have of him, it's a great video where he asks, what am I supposed to do with this? And that is a great question. you got a poker chip with a Bible verse on it. Do you play poker with that? Do you try to slip it into the stack in Vegas, hoping that the dealer sees it and prays and becomes a Christian? What do you do with that? See, there's all these responses, all these spectrums. I'm not picking on people. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you this idea that there's this whole spectrum. How do we respond to a secular world that is opposed in every way to the message of Christ? We can either isolate ourselves or we can, we can uh, become so thoroughly secularized that, that no one could tell, us, tell the difference between us and those who are opposed to Christ. I was reading a, a theology book. You guys are going to love this one. I'll just tell you this last anecdote, I swear, last rabbit trail. I'm reading a theology book on Genesis, and the author of the book, this is not assigned for me, I just want to make sure my seminary did not assign this to me, I was reading it, um, just because I'm a nerd, and it used the pronoun for God, herself, H-I-R-S-E-L-F, and referred to God as her, H-I-R. Now, if you think about what that actually is coming from, it's a combination of her and him. It's trying to combine the two pronouns. First of all, that's stupid. But second, um, the effort of that theologian was she was trying very, very hard to present as best she could her understanding of the scriptures in terminology that would not offend her readers in the hopes that they might be drawn to Christ. Now, at that point, right, and I'm not going to get into the whole pronoun debate, but at that point, have you abandoned truth and sanity for the sake of appeal? Right? Now, what do we do as Christians, coming back to this question, living in a secular world that is opposed to the message of Christ? They like Jesus. They think he's cool. The cartoon version of him that they believe in may not have anything whatsoever to do with the Bible. I've mentioned the Swedish guy with the plate in his head wearing a bathrobe, um, telling everybody how much he loves them. Uh, but but this, this whole idea of how do we live? And really, honestly, Paul gave us the answer at the beginning. He didn't say stand worthy. He said walk worthy. We as Christians have a not just an obligation, but a responsibility and a joy to walk in a fallen world and be the gospel. To speak it, to live it, to give it, to love it, to judge under it. Judge not lest you be judged. Anytime you tell somebody that they're in sin, that's their immediate response, isn't it? Who are you to judge? Well, who is Jesus to judge? Because he had words to say about that. We are called to walk worthy of God 
in the midst of a world that believes lies and falseness. Now what that looks for us looks differently for each person as a part of the community. Not everybody has the same job. But we have to recognize the fact that when you walk in the midst of a world that is living under the strong delusion, your calling is to, regardless of the, the consequences of this, to walk worthy. To not squirrel up and hide, to walk. To be proudly what you are. Can you imagine a world where Christians were as out and proud as some other people who are out and proud? But we have been convinced that outside of the church, we are supposed to hide the single most important identifier that we have, our identification with Christ. Don't talk about religion. I have many, many non-Christian friends. There is not a single one of them that doesn't know what I do for a living. The fact that they still hang out with me is impressive. Because the last, the last time, anytime we're having a conversation and somebody says, Eric, what do you think? It's always exciting. <laughs> because I am known for being very passive about my opinions. So if you can imagine how passive I am about my opinions, you guys know how aggressive I am about my convictions. We are called to walk worthy. To walk. Not to grovel. Not to wander. Not to, to crawl. To walk. To walk. Walk as if the one that you claim to be your savior is your king. Walk as if the one who has called you into his kingdom has declared you loved and worthy. Walk as if God really is God. And see what happens. Accept the consequences. Love the truth of what you believe. In the face of delusion and lies. Join me in a word of prayer. There are times in our journey here as your church, there are times that our society is understanding and kind. And we rejoice for those times of rest that you give us, Lord. But there are so many more times where we are preparing to or walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, help us to walk worthy of the kingdom you have called us to. To stand against lies falsehoods, delusions, deceit. To love the way that you called us to love, not the way the world tells us to love. To pour our hearts into the work of the gospel. 
whether it's with open hands or open mouths or simply walking alongside, caring, teaching, instructing, reproving. Lord, what you have given to me and to all of us, the gift of grace, your spirit, your hand, your word, is so much greater than any power that this earth might bring against you. Help us not to believe otherwise. Jesus, you are willing to go to the cross for us. And you called us to carry the cross for you. May we be your people, both inside these walls and outside. Holy Spirit, you alone can empower us to do these things. Should we do it on our own, we will stumble. So we ask that you would make your guidance and your power present in us. Lead us in the paths you would have us to walk. Straighten our way. Teach us, change us, renew us. Let us know we are never alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this to you. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace forever. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters.